Hello and welcome to Everything is Black and White Podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by Chris Woff and special guest Ian Murta from Express Papers. Um, back at NCG Media, where he uh, worked for many years as I well. I did, I had a decade here. I think the last time I visited the offices, albeit Thompson House, was uh, I was invited into the boardroom by John Gibson for his... Uh, 60th birthday celebrations so quite a while ago 20 years ago nearly that yeah. um so yeah we're going to talk about the 1-1 draw at brighton chris was down there and we'll get ian's opinion like we did luke's last week on rafa rafa's future and the future of newcastle united and um, we'll start with that 1-1 draw at brighton chris um your face your expression maybe gives the answer already if you can't see it, it's not looking overly uh, happy with the memory of, of the 1-1 draw. Good first half, very much like the Southampton game, an excellent first half. The second half was maybe a warning sign of, of Newcastle's fatalities. Yeah, I think that the second half can be overplayed a little bit because of the fact that the position Newcastle already in, Newcastle was safe, they were going to Brighton, who had to get a result. And I, I don't think that... I was actually impressed with Newcastle in the first half and just how intense they were, how much better than Brighton they were in every department because... You can't underestimate how psychologically difficult it can be to get yourself up again once you've achieved your goal for the season. And Newcastle struggled to do it last season. It took them four matches before they eventually came back and beat Chelsea. But Brighton was so passive in the first half. It was strange. I've never seen a team in that sort of position be so passive. They let Newcastle not only dominate possession, but also territory. You maybe couldn't see on the TV, but it's the first time, particularly a Rafa Benitez team I've ever seen away from home, actually the starting point for the back four was beyond the halfway line. And first half, I thought Newcastle were very good. They probably should have scored more than they did, but an excellent goal from Perez. And then once once Perez went off, I think the momentum changed slightly. Brighton were never going to be as bad in the second half as they, as they were in the first, and Newcastle just struggled to wrestle back any sort of momentum. So, yeah, very much the cliched game of two halves. But I don't think you can be overly critical of Newcastle because a point of Brighton would have been a decent result at any other stage in the season. And... They've already achieved what they wanted to this season and they came up against the opponent who simply had to get a result. Ian, do you agree with that? It's, it's a result at the end of the season and it matters very little or is there more to read into it? I'm always one of these who think that if you get a point away from home it's never a bad result. In, in the last decade, I can think of only one time it was a bad result. That was a goal draw at, at, at Aston Villa mm-hmm. in, when Rafa had that short-term contract three years ago. But uh, yeah, I, I just don't think you complain too much about points away from home. Uh, Shelby back in the side, mm. first start since November. People, especially on social media, have really been calling for that to mm. happen. They can't really see, which I disagree with. They can't really see kind of the the benefit of having Key and Hayden or Hayden and Diarmi in the in the in the side. But that's, that's another matter. But Shelby back. What did you make of his first, especially his first off performance? Because he had a lot of time on the ball, and he at times he looked a little bit uh, like he didn't really know what to do with it because mm. he just wasn't getting pressed. The Shelby dilemma isn't about what he does on the ball it's about what he does off the ball now if you are a Rafa Benitez player your whole football philosophy is about off the ball people said did Rafa does he like him has it been a bust up I think that's irrelevant does Rafa trust him I don't think he does in many respects the same way as he didn't trust Mitrovic there are players who he wants to carry out his orders now a Rafa team if you if you watch Newcastle United training, 70 to 80% of that training is concentrated on what they do out of possession. It's all about shape. It's all about closing down, pressing and all that. 
to a certain extent, they can improvise on the ball just like all teams. But most coaches concentrate on what you do off the ball. And that is the problem with, with Shelby. I don't think he's good enough for Rafa Benitez when Newcastle are out of possession. I think it's why Sean Longstaff thrived. I think that's why Hayden has arguably been Newcastle's best player in the last two months. It's even going back to the time when last season, at the beginning of last season, when Josselu was preferred to Mitrovic. Of course, Rafa knew Mitrovic would probably score more goals than Josselu, but Josselu did a job for him. He did what Rafa Benitez wanted when Newcastle were out of possession. Most certainly. Um, Chris, your take on Shelby's return? I was surprised that he had the armband, but when I first saw it, but then thinking it through, I almost saw that as a bit of a Rafa challenging Shelby and saying, look, I'm trusting you to play in this game, so I'm going to give you the captain's armband. You go out and, and, and prove to me that you can do it. And actually, again, this is probably difficult to see on TV. One thing I wasn't quite impressed with was he certainly took on first half that leadership role whereby he was demanding the ball from his defenders. He was directing people to where they should be. He was always vocal. Um, but then, possession-wise, he got so much time on the ball, I couldn't believe how much room they gave him. And I was frustrated a little bit with his, his passing precision. I don't think it was quite up there. But this is a guy who hasn't started a game since since November. Um, do I think he would have started if Newcastle weren't safe yet? No, I don't. I think that that played a big factor in it. I also think Diame's contract situation is playing a big factor in, in why he's playing... But, uh, look, Shelby tired during the second half. I thought that that was where we saw maybe the limitations with them, that when the game gets away from Newcastle, he doesn't dominate as I think maybe he should. But I think overall, look, he's got 70-odd minutes under his belt again. Will he start against Liverpool this weekend? I think Benitez is going to have a big decision there because I wouldn't be surprised to see more Diame come into midfield to give them a bit more energy and, and power. And Chris, do you think do you think Rafa trusts them? No, I've always mm, thought that yeah. there's a part of him that doesn't. I don't think he's a Rafa player, exactly. quote unquote. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Do you think his accuracy is a problem? Because now, yes, it's his first start since November. He attempted 61 passes, but only completed 47 of them. And he attempted 32 in the in the opposition half and only completed 69, while Hayden had the same amount. And he was very accurate compared to Shelby, completed 86%. I know stats, we could get lost in stats, but... There is something there where if that was against a more counter-attacking side and Shelby's passes go astray, then we are hit. And is that why we didn't see him against Palace and the likes of them teams? Because Benitez didn't really trust his passing? I think there, there is an element that Benitez doesn't trust him. I, I, those statistics, the one problem I've got with those statistics is the majority of the time Shelby is passing the ball, he's passing it forward. He's looking for to, to, to break the defensive line. Hayden, a lot of the time, it's shorter passes, it's to the side, it's, it's, it's neat and tidy. So I think directly comparing them in that regard is not necessarily fair. But I do think there is certainly an element where Benitez doesn't quite trust him. He doesn't know if he may go missing, for want of a better term, in the middle of a game when Newcastle really need him. If he may give the ball away in a situation where it's best that he was, he was to keep hold of it. Or if he just doesn't track his man or make the tackle he needs to make. That is where I think the, the mistrust potentially comes in there. Benitez is handing an opportunity at Brighton. If he plays him again at Liverpool this weekend, then Shelby has a big opportunity to, to really prove his way. If he did a big interview with Lee after the game where he suggested that uh, he said that all this talk from having a bust up with Rafa wasn't true, that those who've written his future off, it's not true, he hasn't had his head turned. Well, he, has, he had an opportunity at Brighton. I don't think he necessarily quite grasped it. 
Uh, but maybe he's going to have two games to really stake his claim for a place in the squad next season. It was a few months back, uh, just as Shelby was getting back to full fitness, when you asked Benitez in a press conference, um, does Shelby have a future at Newcastle United? Yeah. And his reply was short. It was, he's under contract. Yes. Which said a lot, I think. Do you think it's still the same case? If the money comes in, Benitez signs a contract, yep. a 20 million plus bid comes in from, say, West Ham, Benitez will go, right, okay, yeah, let's do a deal. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it, Andrew? Because you know we, we expect Diomi to be leaving this summer. Hayden uh, wants to leave, although I don't think many Newcastle fans would want I, him to leave I now. Think they, and they, they want could to move heaven and earth to keep him. I think so. I quite agree with you. Longstaff will be back. So, so would Shelby start being the starting team next season? That's what I think he's got to ask himself. Rafa's got to make that judgment. I don't think he would. I think. Um, Rafa, unless he could improve them, would be looking at a long stuff Hayden. I think most Newcastle fans would right now. Clearly, John Joe Shelby wouldn't be satisfied with peripheral role next season. So I think this decision to make on all sides. I mean, you know, this this sounds like it's a downer on, on, on Shelby. It's not. He's a very talented player in possession. He can, you know, put a ball in the sixpence. And uh, he's, you know, it's wonderful when these 60-yard crossfield balls do come off. But... Again, as, as Chris has said as well, he isn't a Rafa-type type player and it wouldn't surprise me if he's not here in August. I also think that it was interesting what Lee Charnley wanted to get the point across the other week that Newcastle, in theory, have a budget of roughly 45 to £55 million on transfers. But that could, that could be uh, bolstered by potential player sales. Well, you look around the squad... Isaac Hayden, someone you could sell and probably get a reasonable amount of money for. Jamal sells, but they won't. You wouldn't have thought they want to sell him. There aren't really that many other saleable assets there. Shelby, as much as he may not necessarily fit into Rafa Benitez's long-term plan, if Benitez stays, he is probably someone you can get fifteen to twenty million for. Mm. And there aren't many other players in that squad you could say that for. So in terms of to reinvest, he's also he's also the highest earner at the club. And if he isn't going to be playing regularly, I don't think the club are going to be happy paying him ninety thousand pound a week to sit on the bench. Yeah. I'd slightly disagree with you. That when you look at the players, and I tell you how many are saleable assets, you know there are players who Newcastle certainly don't want to sell. No, but that's what I mean in terms yeah. of who you'd contemplate selling. Of, of course, yeah. I mean, we've got the Perez and Dubravka who, yeah. who do have their admirers yeah. both here and yeah. abroad and they wouldn't want to sell either of those. Perez is the next question. Obviously, mm. he scored fantastic strike, um, but obviously went off injured just after 30 minutes gone. And Rondon really struggled without without Perez by his side. And obviously, Almiron was missing. Um, and for me, it just showed that Newcastle don't really have a plan B. Obviously, they had Kennedy, they had Atsu on, mm. but th- them two just didn't do as the other two have done since uh, that Huddersfield game when that, that trio kind of yeah. emerged. He's been absolutely terrific in in the last uh, three or four months, which is fantastic. He's a lovely guy, and uh, I've always given him the benefit of the doubt. Perez. Perez, yeah. absolutely. He works like a Trojan, and he's got huge skill. And he's industrious. He does everything Rafa wants. But now he's got the confidence, and he's looking an outstanding footballer. I've, uh, you know, the, there was a lot of players in that team who I think are underrated. There's one or two overrated. He definitely falls into that former category. Armaron has. I don't think he's been quite as good as some people make out. He plays too fast in my book, which is a very strange criticism. And I think Rafa in the Crystal Palace game, Rafa made reference without actually directly naming him. He said. When you play too fast, you make mistakes. And I think sometimes Almiron needs to show just a touch more composure. But, undoubtedly, he has been the catalyst. He's sparked 
that great three amigos forward line and while he's probably performance wise been eclipsed by to a lesser extent Rondon but especially Perez you know there is no doubt that forward line has been terrific for Newcastle and uh, yeah if Perez is missing on on Saturday it's going to be a huge huge miss did you think the same Chris do you think Rondon looked a bit lost without those two either side of him Yes, but I think part of the issue was A, they didn't have Almiron to really stretch the play on the counter-attack second half. They had no out ball, really. When the ball kept on getting lumped forward to Rondon's second half, they had two six-foot-five, six-foot-six-inch centre-backs, two of the best centre-backs just clearing the ball in the air in the Premier League. And Rondon, even if he had won it, had nobody to flick it onto because there was nobody within 30 yards of him, although Kennedy was largely ineffective. He had a couple of, of runs and then some very wild shots Atsu is industrious works extremely hard but he didn't get a single cross into the box that's the point isn't it that them two would normally be the two that he'd be flicking yeah no I I understand where you come from but I I, I don't think it was just the lack of those two not being in the team I think that 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 certainly exacerbated the problem further but first half wasn't a case of I mean Newcastle didn't miss Almir in the first half and that was primarily because because Brighton was so deep, Newcastle were able to push forward and they didn't have to get in behind. Second half, they needed that and, and the, the, the style of play changed. Look, those three are linking so well together, they're working so well together. Perez is in brilliant form. The way he took that goal, even though he's injured, just tells you everything. You know, that was the, the strike of a confident play. He Absolutely. just lashed it in the back of the net and it was a really well-worked goal. And the understanding between him and Rondon is very, very good. Newcastle don't have much depth up front. That is clear going forward. That is something that Benitez wants to highlight as well. You've got to remember over the last three or four months, Newcastle have been very fortunate in the regard that they haven't had injuries in crucial positions. The one place they did was in midfield where they had players who came in and stood up. But if Rondon had been injured for any lengthy period, or if Perez and Almiron had been injured for any lengthy period, Newcastle have very little depth there. Rondon is the only real out-and-out centre-forward yeah. other than the hostelier they've got. If Rondon had been injured for any, even even the matter of a month when they played the likes of Huddersfield and others at home, Newcastle could be in a very different position to where they, where they are now. And that's something that I think the club need to realise and recognise mm-hmm. they need more depth Absolutely. there. I mean, that's the big picture, isn't it, that um, it's not just Benitez's future that needs to be sorted. That's the, that's the key decision. But when you get past that, you've already briefly mentioned it, mm-hmm. the army, Shelby, yeah. Hayden could all be gone in the yeah. summer. And then you're left with the Rondon, who could potentially go back to West Brom or elsewhere. Uh, Gale's not guaranteed to come back in, but if he does, he's not the kind of player Benitez wants. You're looking at what? You need five players and that's just to maybe just to get the kind of the foundation laid out it's yep. not taking in like Chris says suspensions or injuries yes absolutely I, I think he will be looking to bring in a he'd be looking to upgrade certain positions I think he'd be looking to upgrade the right back position for instance uh, and I do think he wants Rondon and if um, if he can't get Rondon he'd be looking for someone very very similar but you're right Newcastle's squad there is depth in midfield and, and options there and there are, were options in defence as well but Newcastle have been very, very fortunate in that Rondon's played the whole season, Perez virtually the whole season. As Chris said, if anything had happened, I don't know what how many points Newcastle would have in the bag now. If you ask me now if Perez is out on Saturday, I don't know what team Newcastle where Benitez will pick. Although, to a certain extent, he'd go back to his own instincts and it would be very much a damage limitation uh, team that goes out. By that, I don't mean restricting the size of the defeat what I mean playing you know a, a very much a cautious game and uh, and trying to catch Liverpool on the break uh, Chris would you play Mudo this uh, weekend yeah if Iosi is injured 
Um, possibly that I think that the one thing Muto would bring would be out and out pace on the break. I, I'm still, as much as I criticised him at the weekend, and as much as I think he's been so disappointing, there is a part of me that just thinks that Kennedy in this sort of environment, the fact that it would really be a big occasion going to Brighton. Is that really something which uh, got Kennedy got the blood pumping through Kennedy's veins? I may be tempted to play Kennedy and get, at least give him the first forty-five minutes and say, give him a bit of a free roll and say, see what you can do on the counter attack. That's see not the sort of player you want in your your team. Then surely though they can't, you know, get no, excited. No, long term it isn't. But for this weekend, if I don't have Jose Perez, I'm trying to think how can I best stretch the Liverpool bit. Who? has the potential to do something out of the ordinary. If Newcastle are going to win this weekend, they're going to need someone who, like Perez, can produce something different, something magic. Kennedy, in theory, can do that. Now, I'm saying you'd be taking, I'd be taking a huge leap of faith and you'd have to make sure the rest of the team was built to do the work that Kennedy won't do. So I don't think you could probably have Shelby in there. You'd have to bring in someone like Diarmi. But I just think it's going to take... Newcastle aren't going to get much of the ball. They're not going to get many opportunities. They're going to have to play on the counter-attack. There isn't much pace in in the squad once you take Almiron out. Kennedy's one of the few players who has it, and I just think there's a bit more of a X factor to him than Muto at the moment. I see that. I see the logic of what Chris says there, and of course the motivation is it. It's a game that's going to be watched worldwide, yeah. and uh, he's someone who needs to be in the shop window and needs to perform to uh, to potential buyers. Don't get me wrong; it's a massive, it's a mm. massive leap of faith, and it could backfire. But I just think. This Liverpool team is so good defensively. They've got Virgil van Dijk. They don't concede many goals. Newcastle are going to have to do something special if they're going to score. Should play Kennedy. Uh, if if Perez isn't fit, I wouldn't play him if Perez is fit. Uh, before I ask about Benitez's future then and, and and the need to get it sorted really quickly, um, should Fabian Shared gone down on against Brighton when he was when he was <laughs> clipped? Um, are you refreshed to see a defender saying no? Yeah, no. L- l- listen, ev- everything. Shares uh, done has impressed me. Uh, I noticed in the, in the Chronicle poll, he he is top. I personally voted uh, Matt Ritchie, who sees that the, the heart and soul of this this Newcastle side. But um, uh, shares terrific. I think I, lo- I love his attitude. Uh, I, I did a uh, an interview with him a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying how he hates making rush clearances he always likes to be the first line of attack and you can see that you know he sees himself as a footballer first uh, and a defender second uh, I've done very well not to answer your question there but I just wanted to have that platform to, to praise him who's a, another example of a terrific Rafa signing for not much money at all I guess we've shared we've seen a kind of improvement because at the start I don't know about you Chris um, anytime he was one on one it was a very kind of heart in the mouth moment kind of Mind me of sometimes watching Stephen Taylor when you were just worried that it would be rash, it would clip him, and one on one when he had a, a speedy striker going at him, he just didn't look like he could catch him. I can't remember what game it was. I've, I've got a team in blue in my mind, but um, he's improved defensively, and he, I think he's grown in confidence over the past few months. Yeah, I think there is an element of, of him defensively which is a little bit rash. I don't think that's ever something that's going to remove from the amount of bookings that he gets. He's a player who's always playing the edge to a certain degree. But I think the system they're playing now suits him a lot better than a four at the back. I think having been a right centre-back is the position that he's best in because it means he can move out with the ball a little bit more. It means he can move wider. He isn't necessarily caught out one as mm. one 
as much as he is in a two-man central defence. So I think the system is perfectly playing his strength, particularly when it's him and Lejeune either side of Lascelles or Fernandez, whoever may have been the centre, because then you've got two ball-playing centre-backs, and we've, we've talked about this at length, and I think that Cher really is, has benefited from it. You can see on the ball, he is so good. He does give Newcastle a point of difference in attack. Well, the opposition defence may be distracted by Amir on a Perez or whatever. There has been space for Cher to advance into, and he clearly wants to do that, and he tries to do it. And I think he has really grown defensively. He's grown in confidence, and he's built a good partnership with Lascelles, actually, I think. I think I think uh, I agree with you again that he does look more effective in, in a three-man defence. Although I asked him, and of course he for Switzerland he plays uh, as one of two uh, in, a, in a flat back four, and he said he has no preference either way. Refreshed though, Chris, to see him stay on his feet. It was refreshing, yeah. What I find frustrating is that that is still a fa- even if he if he stays on his feet, then I think referees should more often penalise. I know it can be difficult because then they can maybe see how much contact was there, but. In this, in a time where there are so much talk of, oh, should players go down? Is it a dive or whatnot? If that's given as a foul, and I think it probably was a foul. I'm not sure about the Rondon one, but I do think the share one was a foul. Then, if if that's given, then players will be more willing to stay on his feet because in that situation, he's thinking I can score, but he didn't gain any advantage by staying on his feet. It wasn't like they played advantage and then he rounded the keeper and scored. It played advantage for if it was played advantage for a second and then he lost the ball. So I, I, yeah, it is refreshing to a certain degree, but I think it's frustrating that that referees don't necessarily give those decisions well certainly another thing you like about chairs is use of massive words when he's speaking to you <laughs> yes he has come up with a, with, a, with a few interesting words which which uh, you don't necessarily get with words that I think a lot of us journalists in the that uh, when we when we've been interviewing with Mick Stone, you sort of look at each other and say, "I've, ne- I've never heard anyone say a polemic." I think is one that he's used a couple of times. Yeah, he does, yeah, yeah, that's he right. That word. Yeah. Um, but no, he's he's an interesting person to interview because he's very intense, and at some some points you think he always stops and he, he always gives an interesting measured answer. But at first, it takes him a little bit, a, a few seconds to warm yeah. up the first couple of questions. He maybe gives you short answers, and he's very intense. And you think he's it's quite some it's quite barbed almost to begin with, but then he comes out with some very mm. good answers and some yeah. very. Uh, thought, thoughtful answers so we've spoken about the potential exits um, and one of the, the biggest exits could be Rafa Benitez now given that the, the, the transfer window opens I think it's on the 16th of May mm-hmm. um, Newcastle then will be back pre-season started uh, July and then off to China two weeks after that there's a real pressing need to get this sorted either way mm-hmm. you know I think we've all said we all want Benitez to stay it's the right move for the club but if it comes down that he isn't the club, the fans, the players, they need an answer either way and quickly. Yes, uh, but if it's a case of he needs another month to make up his mind, it's not ideal. But if he wants that other month, I'd be prepared to give it. At the moment, uh, Andrew, I'm worried. I, three or four weeks ago, I wasn't. What worried more than any was his answer to a question at a press conference four nights ago when, when he was asked uh, about the... T- if, when you mentioned the fact he wanted to work till he was 70 and he was asked, would you, could you see yourself not ever competing in the Champions League again between now and then? And he gave a very unequivocal answer. It, usually, he, he can't talk in riddles, can't he when, he, when he's trying to get too much out of it. And he said, not only was he desperate to get back into the Champions League, he wants to win it again, which I think worried us all listening because clearly with this regime at Newcastle, that's never going to happen uh, the other thing which worries me a little bit about Rafa is Rafa loves devising game plans but when he has this game at chess he wants to have a queen and two castles he doesn't just want to 
play without these star quality players. And I think he doesn't enjoy, as much as we all thought he would, the fact that he has to devise a game plan when, and this is absolutely no disrespect to the current crop of players at Newcastle, he has to come up against a team who individually are significant, technically better than his own players. And he's done that tremendously for two, two and a half years. And I think he's getting fed up with it. He wants to be on an even keel with the Guardiolas of this world and the Pochettinos. And uh, it's a long way off at Newcastle. So, yeah, I, like a lot of fans, like most fans, I am worried. I mean, Benitez has always been one for about competing and kind of doing the best that we can do here and, and having a sign of ambition. But this time it seems to be ramped up a little bit. He's been very quickly, very clear to say, look, 7th to 10th is where I want to be aiming I don't want to be doing this again next season that is just surviving And do you think the rhetoric's changed somewhat because he now knows that actually his contract runs out in two months and it, it, it's now or never yeah I mean I always thought and I've said it for a while I always thought once I got to a point where Newcastle was safe then Benitez would up the rhetoric but what, what uh, mirroring some of the comments that Ian said what's concerned me over the last couple of weeks is that he keeps on saying that he's waiting for answers and clearly talks have taken place, whether they be formal or informally talks to managing director at HR on a quite frequent basis. And at the moment, he isn't getting any of the movement or the answers that he wants. That is very much the message. He hasn't said that, but basically he's saying that we haven't come to an agreement yet. And so, whereas four weeks ago, it seemed like both parties were really uh, sitting down in good faith, wanted to progress going forward clearly Benitez hasn't seen the shift that he wants otherwise I think that he would have toned it down but mm. even on Friday when for the large part he gave a fairly bland answer and mm. saying we'll, we'll have an update when necessary then he suddenly just threw in that another manager may be happy with finishing 15th and he also said about how um, about yes it is 7th to 10th and I said that three years ago I didn't say that now yes. and then he, had, he did the same sort of thing on Saturday whereby he gave a fairly bland answer but then he started talking about, he, he again reiterated that I'm I'm waiting, it's, it's them who need to come to me and when I asked him if he had a meeting planned with, with Mike Ashley, he said no and he made it clear he'd be willing to have one but the one hasn't yet been set up and I think that for me that's that's the key issue here is that we can talk and talk about Benitez having discussions with Lee Charlie until he, he sits in front of Mike Ashley I don't see there being a positive resolution to this because I don't think Benitez believes in his heart of hearts that he can get the maximum from talks just with Lee Charney in the mm -hmm. hierarchy at the club I think he needs to eyeball Mike Ashley he realises that whenever a big decision happens at this football club Mike Ashley has to be involved and I think he wants to, to see him face to face Is it a case that Benitez has been stubborn do you think Benitez is willing to, to get his agent whoever to, to put the call into Mike Ashley and say look I want to meet you or do you think he is playing a game where he is waiting for Mike Ashley to come to him because of I don't know like I say, it's, it's, it's a big game at the end of the day his ego has got in the way before things like this. It was early in the season where there was that story about how Ashley wanted to come to the training ground, and yes. and we we kept on asking Benitez, and I remember it was quite it was quite excruciating actually the, <laughs> yeah. the amount of times where it was a back and forth between journalists and Benitez. We were just saying, well, why don't you just invite him? And he was like, he was saying that I don't need to invite him as the owner, and saying, but just invite him anyway. And it's it's almost this clash of these two egos whereby none of them wants to be the one to make the first step. Clearly, Benitez thinks that Ashley should come to him he's the one who's the decision maker and Benitez even said I'm willing to have that conversation but I don't think he's going to demand that I think he wants Ashley to come to him and then maybe that puts him in a, in a stronger position I'm not really sure yeah to answer your your two questions yes he is stubborn yes he is playing a game but let's not forget he is in an incredible position of power at the moment his contract is coming to an end he is wanted 
by 99.99% of the fan base. I don't know who the other 0.01% is, but he, he, the players want him. He has been amazingly successful with, it, with one hand tied behind his back for two and a half years. So he will never have a stronger negotiating tool than he has now. What I would say, it's quite strange, myself and my colleagues on the national newspapers, when we ring our desks on a, on a Friday afternoon, and the, all, down in London, there is, what's he saying now? And they, they say, we heard all this before at Liverpool. And to a certain extent, they did hear it all before at Liverpool, but eventually he did stay on, didn't he? Um, it, is, it is slightly different, because clearly Liverpool, were, it was a case of climbing from fourth, fifth, fourth to second first here. It's a case of trying to get into the top half of the table and compete in the Cups. So to, just to go back, yes, he is playing a game. Yes, he is being stubborn. Yes, he does want Mike Ashley to, to make a move. But he's, the bottom line, he is fighting tooth and nail for a club he believes has the potential to compete on the same level as the previous five or six clubs he's, he's managed. Now you were both in the press conference on Friday and interesting what you both said there. I mean, Keith Downey of Sky Sports, um, he tweeted out and he, he sounds more positive. Uh, his obvious frustration of the last couple of weeks wasn't there today. His body language would tell you it's closer. Mm. Now, obviously, Keith sits in the front row. You sit a few rows behind. But did you see that? Well, it was interesting because immediately afterwards, there was the, it wasn't just Keith who had this view. There was a few other journalists in the room who seemed to suggest, oh, I think he's been told something this week. I think they've had discussions. And there was a few people who seemed to be more positive from I took from it. At first, I thought it was reasonably bland. There hadn't been much progress going forward. But then when he dropped in those, those couple of comments about another manager and things like that, it, it's very difficult to read the situation at the moment. He... He's given off mixed mixed signals. I think that's partly because he feels he's receiving mixed signals. And what I would say is that the demands that Benitez has made to the club, I think he's been he's been smart in the fact that he's gone as high as he possibly can with them. Mm-hmm. Probably safe in the knowledge of the back of mind, he's not going to get them all, but he's going to push them as far as he can and see if they'll at least come towards him. So I think there is a flexibility in his, his negotiating position, but I just don't think he's seen enough yeah. leeway coming his way yet. I, I was made aware of Keith's comments, and he's Keith's someone who's a friend, and I've got enormous respect for him. But I was surprised. But it does make I think, I've, I've said to you before, Chris, uh, you know, when you go to a Rafa Benitez press conference, it's akin to uh, doing a, a maths, a three-hour maths A-level and trying to work out a quadratic quadratic equations and at the end of it we're all saying what did he mean by that yeah. and we're all coming up with different answers so which is quite possible in a Rafa Benitez press conference so yes some people did think it was more positive some of us thought it was the same and some of us thought it was a little more negative but I thought like, on Friday Chris the the most worrying comment was uh, maybe maybe this club should have a manager who is happy with yeah. 15th place. Now, a very provocative comment, and he just hung it out to dry, didn't he? Didn't really expand on it. And when you look at it in isolation, that, 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 that again, is some, it's a soundbite which is worrying. You've been in this industry many years. First question, okay. have you ever seen this amount of players come out and say he needs to stop? Because off the top of my head, I can think of at least six or seven of that yeah. first team who've come out and said it's imperative that Rafa Benitez gets a new contract. Listen, he's popular. We we know that, but let, let's make no mistake. If you ask players directly, they're not going to say the opposite. Yeah. So so of course they're going to say that they're under contract. They they, they need him, but of course the, you know players like Jamal Lascelles, who's, who's a very articulate player. He knows that 
Rafa Benitez has been good for his career. He's been good for his footballing development. And they all know that, you know. So, yes, uh, to answer the question, I have heard footballers elsewhere at Newcastle other clubs saying that. But it, in this case, they really do mean it, yeah. And do you think, uh, Lee Charlie, because I, I think we all agree that Mike Ashley probably doesn't uh, listen to what Rafa Benitez has to say in a press mm-hmm. conference, but do you think Lee Charnley... Uh, is well aware of what Benitez is saying, especially the last week, and he, he sits there and that, I don't know, maybe he gets a bit miffed at the comments, or do you think he's he's just waiting for the call from upstairs from Mike Ashley to, to make the next move and what Benitez says, Benitez says? They have a very good relationship, but the, the fact is he is a go-between, and, you know, he, for all we know, he might say he might be saying to Rafa, look, I agree with you, Rafa, I'd love to do that, but it's not up to me. And I'd love, I'd like to know how many phone calls there are between Lee Charney and, and Mike Ashley uh, every week. We, we don't know. We don't know. What we do know is, is, is Lee Charney is very diligent and conscientious. And Rafa Benitez has, has said on several occasions that they have a decent working relationship. I think the Newcastle at executive level is chronically understaffed. And I think that is one of the problems with the recruitment policy. I think, you know, there are other clubs which have dep- recruitment departments. Newcastle, it's not a, a one-man band, but it's not far short of that. But, uh, for you know, Lee Charney is, is not a, a charismatic uh, chief executive, managing director in, in a way. So, some are. But, the, you know, he he's working diligently. He, he will be working all hours. But he's, he's the, the monkey, not the organ grinder. His hands are tied yeah. somewhat. Um I want to ask you about Isaac Hayden's comments um, before the before the Brighton game. He came out and said, you know, a club of this stature shouldn't be just looking to survive relegation every season. It's not the feeling within the dressing room. They they don't want to be doing that. They want to be fighting to get in the top eight, the top six. Um, first of all, we, it looks like he's going to go in the summer due to his personal reasons, but he was he was speaking very much, we, we feel this, this club. In many ways, speaking like he can see a future here. Um, which I think might give fans a bit of a false hope. But what do you make of his comments about the ambition of the club, the ambition of the players? If it was anyone else speaking, I would have said that the fact that they're leaving in the summer made it a little bit easier to make those comments is quite convenient. But Isaac Hayden always speaks his mind. He's always very Mm -hmm. honest. He's very articulate. He's one of uh, the best interviewees I've experienced in my short career so far. When you speak to him, he never just gives the stock answer. He's always measured, uh, but always honest. And... Um, I think that it was telling to a certain degree they realised that um, at the moment they run the risk of that you're in that group of probably about 10 teams at the start of a season really could be in a relegation battle and if it goes wrong if say Rondon had been injured for Newcastle this season for any long period they could have been right down there with Cardiff and Brighton at the moment they want to progress they want to move forward as a club a lot of them were sold the idea when they came coming to, to, to work with Rafa Benitez they thought this is a club that's moving forward This is a, if mm-hmm. Rafa Benitez is here this club has ambitions to progress as of yet that hasn't happened if Benitez stays I think they'll realise then that, that, that there must be ambition but at the moment there's the concern that Benitez goes this summer and then suddenly what is what is the future and what does the future hold one of the main issues I guess is that Benitez likes to move quickly mm. that's been one of his frustrations at the club Yes, yeah. don't move as quick as he would like in the transfer market and you know, there's been a few names linked, like David Brooks, for example. Mm-hmm. And he's not only got a David Brooks would be a heck of a lot of money, but mm-hmm. it's also Newcastle have got to show that they match the ambition. And it sounds 
daft saying this, but this is where Newcastle are. They've got to match the ambition of, of Bournemouth. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that an indictment? You know, match the ambition of Bournemouth. Again, the, another player that Newcastle has been watching is Dwight McNeil at Burnley, who's, who's done terrifically. Uh, a player I'd love to see Newcastle sign. I, I don't think it can happen. With the, as I said earlier, they need to upgrade the right back. I think most fans would agree. Uh, the Norwich City right back. I've seen. I've seen both. I've seen Norwich a few times this season. Max Aaron's tremendous. I think he'll be outstanding player. Cousin of Rolando Aaron's as well. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So you know, so he'll know all about Newcastle. I'd love to see him come because I really believe he's got a great career ahead of him in the, in the Premier League. But yep, Newcastle have progressed this season, Chris, but not at the pace that that no, Rafa yes, wants. Well, okay. You know, okay. uh, I I would still be critical of, of of him back in January when he fielded weakened sides in the FA Cup. I think Newcastle could have coped with an FA Cup run. I think the only time I was really seriously worried about this season was ironically it wasn't after a defeat it was after the nil-nil draw against Fulham just before Christmas that was the one time I detected a little bit of concern in, in Rafa's face as well but uh, yeah, well, he, he made, made the miracle, miracle comments, comments yeah. that's right yeah which, he, which, he, which he, was he, probably the low point of his season he's which, defended them this week as he's saying it got a reaction it, yes yes but at the, the time yeah. they didn't really get that much of a reaction no. because they actually went on a quite bad run for a few weeks and they got, dragged, right. in, they got dragged in the relegations yeah. you know, certainly in the round there so I do think that was a mistake and I think that he may not say it publicly but I think privately he probably recognised Yeah, I would think so this is, I think Newcastle have progressed they might end, they might end up a, a position or two down on last season they might end up a position or two, a point or two above I don't, I, I don't know but uh, you know Newcastle are now looking at a pretty solid mid-table side what he wants is them to look uh, to, to look to be have no worries for relegation in January and February but uh, you know, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying I, I would. If Newcastle won the FA Cup, I'd take relegation. I just want to see this club win something. I think I think that the point you make about progress, I do agree, because I think the style of play is remarkably different. Yeah. I think that this year, with that, with the first choice front three, Newcastle look a far better attacking prospect in the Premier League than they did 12 months ago. I think they did. look far yeah. more dangerous. They look far. Far better able to play at St James's Park, which is a strange thing to say, since for the first half of the season I simply couldn't win there. Yeah. But since they've shifted to the current formation they're playing with that front three, they look capable of playing both home and away. And they've had at points where they've been very strong defensively away, but haven't been able to manage to win games. And then yeah. the first half of the season where they were struggling to break teams down, I think they've found quite a happy medium. They just need to add a, a few extra quality additions in here and then a bit of depth. And suddenly, then they can really start be thinking about we can get up towards werewolves and yeah, I would West agree. Ham. I think I think two games have def- not defined have shaped Newcastle's season. I think you can go way back to August, the Cardiff game, mm. when Kennedy missed that last minute penalty. Rafa expected to win that game, and he knew that they had a very very tough run of home fixtures. And I, I didn't particularly like his tactics in, uh, a few days later against Chelsea. I thought by playing so defensively then you immediately negated the effect of the 12th man, which was the crowd. The, the crowd, they, they, they had to sit and watch a Newcastle side sitting back at home. And just a few weeks earlier, back in May, Newcastle absolutely thumped Chelsea with a crowd right behind them. I would have liked to have seen a little more like that. But skipping on a few months, that Manchester City game showed Newcastle's incredible mental strength. When you go, when you go down in the first minute to a side like Manchester City... Every man and his dog expected Newcastle to fold. 
And winning that game gave Newcastle such, such huge belief. It's no coincidence that they've won it all by one home game since. Well, certainly. Um, so what has to happen then for Rafa Benitez to sign a new contract? He needs to... Um, he needs to be told that he has virtually virtual autonomy, uh, that signings are made quickly, that it's not just a case of putting the money on the table which clubs are wanting, but also being shrewd with that, but the wages as well. I mean, you know, two, two weeks ago, it was very clever how Rafa changed the, the, the focal point from, from what Lee Charney had said about £50 million each season plus what you can make Rafa suddenly changed it to wages you know it's no good offering £21 million for a player and £50,000 a week if someone else is offering £20,000,000 and £80,000 a week so you know uh, we all know that the, the wages are immoral in football but at the same time we're all hypocrites and we want Newcastle to be able to compete in the summer with the likes of Everton with the likes of you mentioned earlier Bournemouth and Watford and who will be strengthening you know it, it, it sticks, sticks in my throat hearing you know talking about the Watfords and the Bournemouths competing with them but but that's that's the reality isn't it and yet we know potentially it, it's the clubs above them who Newcastle should be competing with now links to PSG for Rafa mm, worrying Lee uh, Ryder wrote a story a couple of weeks back I think it was after the Southampton game um, and he said, you know, PSG were looking at him. Mm-hmm. A few more stories come out this week yeah. in, in the Mirror and in some of Van France as well. Mm-hmm. PSG obviously lost. I'm not sure if it was the version of their version of the Oops, FA Cup, yeah. or, but they did lose on penalties. That's um, right. Things aren't going very well over there. Could you see Benitez heading over to, Ooh, to Paris? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet against it. Uh, and if he's never man, it's probably the only club in France he would. He he wants to managing the Premier League. We all know Newcastle would be his choice. But if a club like PSG came calling and said, we're ready to bankroll your your dream of winning another Champions League, that's what we don't want to hear, isn't it? And uh, could you blame him? Probably not. He does speak some French as well, I believe. So it, the language barrier, although he isn't necessarily fluent, he's a very good linguist and he, he'd learn the language quite quickly, but he does already speak some French. Um, it, it is concerning that... There aren't many clubs abroad that I think he would go to or would consider at the moment, but I think PSG would be one of them here because he could probably... I mean, the target would be to win the Champions League yeah. and he fancies his chances of doing that. From PSG's point of view, I see it as a slightly strange one, although if you want, if you actually want to give him, get a manager who's going to try and win the Champions League, Rafa Benitez would be ideal, but they're going to parachute a manager in who... He's going to probably want Neymar and Mbappe if both of those stay to start working a little bit harder. <laughs> I don't know how necessarily the dynamic will be there. Will he like the, the, the makeup of the squad? But he would have the players certainly capable of winning the Champions League. And he is more, uh, he's a world class manager. We, we know how good he is at doing that. So the links are concerning. And I think that I hope that, that, that because they seem to have some legs, that that. that really makes Newcastle United sit up and think, right, we need to get this resolved sooner rather than later because PSG could come in and Tuchel doesn't sound convinced on his own future. He doesn't, does he? No. He said, he said, he said I, I, I'm confident I'll still be manager come the start of next season. Yeah. PSG are quite happy to hire and fire when it, they need they are, to. They so, you know, Rafa, we, we, he's very much a pragmatist, but there have been occasions when Rafa has allowed his heart to rule his head. Mm. Notably, when Newcastle got relegated three years ago. He... Probably won't this time, but, and I think it's an important point to make about Rafa Benitez, 
For the last two decades, he's been one of Europe's most successful managers. But he's only really been loved at three clubs, Valencia, Liverpool and Newcastle. He was pretty much disliked at Real Madrid, which caused him, I think, an awful lot of personal torment. He wasn't liked at all at Inter Milan, and I think Napoli was very much up and down. These fans who are turning up on Saturday, you know, they could have been in the pub since 12 o'clock and it, it's going to be a raucous, raucous atmosphere. Now, this isn't all about Liverpool winning the title. This is a game. This is about whether they can influence Rafa. When Rafa has a decision to make, Newcastle fans have got to make that decision as hard as possible for Rafa Benitez. And let's hope there's that little bit of the heart, there is a little bit of heart in the decision as much as the head because don't underestimate how much he loves to be loved. No, oh, and that leads us on to the next point. We are going to have a, a full preview of the Liverpool game with our colleagues at the Liverpool Echo that'll be out on Thursday. But as we have you in here, Ian, mm-hmm. you'll be there on Saturday. Yep. Um, the press box is fully oversubscribed. Yep. Um, but it's going to be, like you say, a brilliant atmosphere. It is. Can Newcastle get the better of Jurgen Klopp's side? Well, I mean, they can. Will they? Is it? Is it? Obviously, it's a diff- different question. Let's not forget the last two home games of the season. Uh, in fact, let's let's go back. Let's go back a few years. Newcastle have made a habit of having a spectacular performance in in the last home game. You know, I can remember when I when I was starting out. The older older listeners will remember the the seven one against Leicester when there was six 0 up at, at half time. You know, last season was the Chelsea was the Chelsea game which I mentioned before the season when Newcastle were already relegated and Sunderland stayed up that Tottenham performance amazing atmosphere even before Rafa came when John Carver was in charge that, that when Newcastle beat West Ham that was an emotional day a raucous day and, and ultimately a successful day for Newcastle so you know Klopp will not underestimate Newcastle he will have done his homework he will know that there will be 50,000 fans there it'll be an emotional day for Newcastle and this isn't going to be a side that's going to that's going to roll over so listen Liverpool are favourites and will probably win but I wouldn't put more than 50 pence on it Chris uh Brief word for war flags. You've been working close with them on their um, travels to get this giant flag. It's going to be the biggest in Europe. If it all goes well, it'll be unveiled on Saturday evening. Um, it's, it's going to be just another ingredient to what should be a brilliant atmosphere. Yeah, a few of the lads have driven a van across. It's the cheapest way of getting across the banner, which is going to be basically the size of, of the Gallagher. And it's going to be a Premier League record-sized uh, banner. Uh, it's going to have lots of stuff on about places in the northeast and iconic connections with the region and basically it's it's meant to be a celebration of Newcastle United in general and I think that one of the reasons they want to unveil in this Liverpool game A, the entire world is going to be watching this match because of the significance it can have on the Premier League title race but B, given that it could be a, a sing stand Rafa Benitez's final game as Newcastle manager that they want to play into what Ian was saying before mm. and really implore Benitez to stay as they did Back in 2016, I think it'll be excellent. I think the fact that the fact that this is fan-led as well. What I like so much about it is fans have put all the money in for this. It's going to have the names of all of the fans who've contributed in the message there. The the message which is on it, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it, all of the names are going to be spelling that out. And 
it's it's an amazing achievement that they're going all across to Poland and then driving it back. You can follow uh, the story on on Twitter at the minute. They're showing. I think they won the, the ferry the overnight. Ferry, I think the ferry company have helped out. The club have helped out. I am intrigued though because it's not something you can just say. Oh, let's let's unroll it before we do it. Check everything's all right. Obviously, it's going to be quite interesting to see if the angel of the north looks like the angel of the north or what have you. Whatever. It's not something you can just kind of get out and wrap up straight away, is it? But a fantastic effort, um, Chris. Do you think? Uh, Newcastle can spoil the, the, the title challenge of Liverpool? I think they're capable of doing so. I think that obviously the, the Newcastle crowd and the fa- and the Benitez factor is going to play a part, but I also think it can't be underestimated how much Barcelona against Liverpool on Wednesday will have a huge effect as well. Liverpool have to play Barcelona twice in the space of six days with Newcastle in the middle of it. They've done very well to, to compete on two fronts so far, but we'll see, I think, on Wednesday what really is the priority for Liverpool. Is it the Champions League or is it the Premier League? They want to win both, but there's going to have to be one that they have to, to go for. And I think psychologically what, what happens in, against Barcelona will have a massive effect on what happens on Saturday. Just kind of going off the topic, just briefly, Ajax and the, the Dutch FA have cancelled, I think, all the league games to help uh, prepare Ajax for tonight's game against Spurs. Now, obviously doing that in the Premier League would, would have been quite controversial but do you think that's something that the Premier League need to look at in the future if they've got English clubs in the semis and in the finals they should maybe look to try and help them win winning footballers want to play games regularly don't they you know I I, I guess I'm quite old fashioned and of course you can play too many games but you know I think momentum is the biggest thing in football and I think having winning momentum is better than I'd rather have a team with winning momentum than a team which didn't have that and was fresh. I think that we'd all like, to a certain degree, to see English teams win the Champions League, and I have no necessarily problem with maybe shifting the game like it's happened this weekend with Newcastle-Liverpool, it was shifted back 24 hours, although, for me, that should have been sorted out beforehand because there was a chance Liverpool should have got there, and so TV companies should help out away fans more. But what I do have a problem with is the... is the I, also, I already think that the elite clubs have so many advantages themselves and what you would be doing by making sure that say Liverpool had the best chance of getting the final is you're cementing again the advantage they already have financially they're going to get more money by getting yeah. to the final they're going to have more money by getting there next year and then that just increases the gap between them and the rest of the Premier League teams yeah. so I do think that is something that needs and to by, be by the way it's, it's, it's been moved back to an evening kickoff to help Liverpool but I firmly believe that plays into Newcastle's hands because St James's Park on a on a Saturday night, I can't I can't recall a, a quarter to eight kickoff ever no. on a Saturday night, but you know that and will just weekends. that will just crank up the volume and that that will help Newcastle, not Liverpool. I'm sure Northumbria Police will be over the moon at that. Um, hopefully one day we can be talking about Newcastle and Liverpool's uh, predicament. Uh, Got reaction, Anine. Will Rafa Benitez be in charge of Newcastle United by the time they go off to China for their pre-season tour? Not the answer people want to want to hear, but I, I don't think so. I'm not going to ask you, Chris, because you're going to be asked six or seven times over the next few weeks, and uh, we don't want to depress people. Um, but thank you very much for coming in, Ian. Much appreciated. Absolute pleasure. Um, and thank you guys for listening. If you remember to like and subscribe, also head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news. Thank you very much for joining us.